and KPFT can have a profound effect on how you live. You listen to KPFT because it expands your understanding of yourself and of the world. And we can continue to bring you great ideas and culture because listeners like you contribute. So why wait for a pledge drive to support KPFT? Give a call to our membership department at 713-526-4000, extension 314. Again, that number is 713-526-4000, extension 314, to speak to our membership department and become a member. This is listener-sponsored, commercial-free Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston. You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Thank you for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Happy Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month. Thank you for joining us as we continue our campaign to highlight Latino history, art, and culture in every single city council district so that we will understand that every Houston city council district is Latino. Today we have a one-hour special on Latino making history as the first president at Lone Star College. He is Mario Castillo. He is the interim president of Kingwood College and this deserves a one-hour special, not only because he is making history, but he brings so much intelligence and wisdom, but also a profound perspective of what our community needs. And that's going to go a long way to making our community feel welcome at that school. And in the future, it will create processes and practices that other institutions will follow. I think the other key part here too is that he's very proud of being Latino, but at the same time, it is clear that he's gonna serve all the students of Lone Star College and all the students in that area. The other eye-opening aspect to this is that Lone Star College Kingwood is about 41% Latino. Additionally, it's in City Council District E, which is also about 40% Latino. We're happy to connect all those dots so that once again, we make it clear to our community that our gente are everywhere. And as such, every corner of Houston should be celebrating our art, history, and culture. We hope to do that by bringing you an event from every single Houston City Council District. You can visit our website, nuestrapalabra.org, to find out about those events and we really appreciate you tuning in. We want to thank Mario Castillo for taking the time to talk to us. We hope you enjoy this broadcast. to our public that you are the interim president of Lone Star College Kingwood. This is really a big deal for us that we wanted to kick off the Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month festivities. By talking to you, what, what does that mean to the folks in the streets that you are now the interim president here? I honestly didn't realize what a big deal it was until probably I got here. I was talking to one of the custodians here for about 15, 20 minutes the other day, and then she finally stopped and said, Joven, ¿en qué se ocupa usted aquí? Wow. And I said, soy el presidente. And she was like, pero estás bien joven. <laughs> and so that that was really special. And it just happened again this morning, sort of as I'm walking all the buildings right now to keep our custodians safe. We don't let them roam the buildings. Each of them has to clean one building, and that's it. That way they're the only custodian coming into the building. And so as I'm roaming the building, sort of talking to them, I can tell that sort of they, they get it, it lights them up, right? Because they're like, for, for so many years, Latinos are the ones cleaning the buildings, and now we've got a president that's Latino. And I think that's a really big deal to them. I think a lot more than even I appreciated before sort of having some of those conversations. 
And, and as you mentioned, you're the consummate professional. <laughs> You've got advanced degrees, great resume. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Pero cuéntanos de tus raíces latinas. Uh, ¿Tus gente dónde eres? Son chihuahuenses de México. Um, los dos son de Chihuahua. Chihuahua de un rancho. They're, they're, they're small town people. They're from a small town called Rancho de Santiago, which is about three to four hours southwest of Chihuahua, Chihuahua. Um, so it's about 12, 13 hour drive from El Paso. And so that's my, both of my parents are from there. I've done my genealogy. They basically, my family lived in that area, has lived in that area for about 400 years. Wow. Um, so about 14 generations. And so my parents <laughs> were the first ones to leave in the early 80s, which is right around when I was born. Um, and so I'm the eldest. Um, and so I have two, I have a brother and a sister, and then I have a half brother. And so um, that's kind of my story. My, my, my mom, like I wrote, like I said in the article, my mom didn't go to high school, right? And that's one of the things that I mentioned in the Chronicle article. I said one of the crazy things now that I think about is my daughter, Amelia, can go to any school she wants, right? And my mom didn't even go to high school. My dad uh, barely graduated from high school, right? And so in Mexico, right? right. And so it, it's crazy because I remember back then when I used to live in Mexico, because I did live in Mexico for a while, telling people like, one day I'm gonna be a lawyer in America. And people are like, you're nuts, you don't even live in America, <laughs> right? And so um, it, it was really awesome. It was a lifelong pursuit, a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of folks helped me get there. And so at 25, I became an attorney, and so I made that goal, and then that's kind of my background, right? So I have 12 aunts and uncles on one side, eight on the other. I'm probably, I probably have about 100 cousins. I have a huge, <laughs> I have a huge family. You know, I've got cousins that I don't even know exist, to be honest. Well, is that hyperbole, or you mean no. literally? It, literally. I mean, I have 12 aunts and uncles on one side, eight on the other. That's 20, yeah. right? And then they've got their kids, and then now they've got their kids, and I mean, I've got cousins coming up on Facebook and stuff like that, where I'm like, who, who do you belong to, right? <laughs> the Kianetis, you know, like the Kianetis, because you look kind of like this other person, but I don't know, and so we, that's how big our family is, and I'm probably, if not the first, maybe the second person to get a college degree wow. in that entire sort of, so up until I got a college degree, most of the people in my family um, didn't degrees, and then, but since me, right? There's a lot more college degrees, masters, PhDs, that have come out since sort of that. And so I remember I'll share something with you when I got married. I got married to someone that's from Kingwood, right? And so my wife is, is Anglo, she's white. And so her parents really sort of wanted us to have like a joint sort of tradition wedding. And so one of the things that they insisted on was in my family you do what, what I guess they call the, the dollar dance or the money dance, right? Where you basically <laughs> pin money on the bride. And so we were doing that. And one of the things that really stuck with me when my cousins would come up is they would talk about school. They would be like, we never thought that we could go to college or law school. But now that we, we see you, that you made it, that's really sort of inspired us. And so I think that's really powerful, right? And, and those are moments that are unpredicted, like I was telling you earlier, talking to the custodians. Right? And I'm just walking around being myself. And, and that's very powerful for, for people to see that, I think. And, and that's going to have a ripple effect in the community, even beyond the reach that we have to know profoundly. On the flip side, you are, like you mentioned, super preparado para este puesto, ya tienes experiencias en un líder. But also, let me ask you this, how do you bring those values to policy? Because at the end of the day, you're still a lawyer first. You've got to create policies that are fair to everyone. How do your values how are they infused in that policy so that more Latinos can come to school at Lone Star College and then pursue higher level degrees? Yeah, so part of it, for example, is, you know, I remember one time I was applying for a job and I had good grades, not the best, but good enough. And and I remember I didn't get a job. In, I didn't get a job, I found out later, because I didn't make eye contact with this person. And in my family, I was raised as a Latino, like you don't make eye contact because it's disrespectful, right? And so that, those are kind of things that when I'm sitting in these big interview rooms now, right, and I'm the boss, and people are like, well, he didn't make eye contact or she didn't make eye contact. I'm like, listen, it could be a cultural thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let me just tell you, in my family, you stare at somebody, it's not confidence, it's rudeness, right? And so there's, there's cultural norms, right? And I think that we don't, when we have people, a truly diverse environment, those cultural norms get explained, right? Just like, for example, there's a difference between being, I have three jobs right now. I'm the general counsel, the chief operating officer, and 
the president, right? All three. So each of those jobs requires different norms, right? And so just like I wouldn't deliver the same message as the general counsel as I would the president, right? There's a different tone that I have to take. There's a different sort of this is how you do it, right? As a lawyer, you give advice. You don't make decisions. And so you have to take a back seat. And even if you think the decision is bad, you're like, hey, my job is to give you advice. Your job is to make the decisions. As the president, I make the decisions within sort of the board of policy, right? So it's a different sort of mindset. Because as a lawyer, como que te lavas las manos, right? And you're like, I gave my advice. That person's going to do what they're going to do. As the operations person, the president, you have to make the decision. And so it's, it's a very different thing. So go back to your point. You know, one of the first things that I did when I got over here is I said, hey, how are we, how are we watering giving water to the people mowing the lawn out there. It's super hot, man. It's like a hundred and some degrees, right? Because I've mowed lawns. And so I know it's a hundred and some degrees out there in a room full of executives. I'm like, they're like, well, we can't. I said, we can do whatever we want. We're in charge, right? Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah, um, awesome. so I said, let's get them some ice. Let's get them some water and sort of let's, let's get that on the road. Same thing with students, right? Like I wrote, like I said in that article, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, why can't they do it online? Why do they need to come into the buildings? Well, you're assuming they have computers. You're assuming they have internet. You're assuming they have electricity, right? There was times in my household when we didn't have any of those three, right? And so I think it's setting that expectation of sort of, especially right now with COVID-19, hey, everyone could use a little bit of empathy right now and a little bit of grace, right? And so let's, and I think it's a very powerful thing when you've been in those situations and you're like, listen, I know what it's like to mow lawns out outside right now because that's how I, I worked, right? I worked mowing lawns and, and doing those kind of things. I worked in a factory. I've had some, I worked construction with my uncles, right? And to their credit, I remember they used to go real hard on me and say, Paco Leches gana la escuela. So they would say, you know, like they'd carry like one big two by four because one of them was, for example, was a framer. And they'd carry one big one and be like, you carry two or three. And I'm like, you're only carrying one. It's like, yeah, pero ya es muy tarde para mí, you know? And, and so they would wear me ragged like that. And so, you know, even right now with three jobs, people ask me, how do you do it? I'm like, yeah, I'm working 16, 18 hours a day, but I'm doing it wearing a suit in an air-conditioned office with health care and amazing benefits. My family wants of nothing. And so when you start with an attitude of gratitude, right, a heart full of, of gratitude, it goes a long way. Because I have worked 16, 18-hour days in terrible jobs where my bosses yelled at me and screamed at me. You know, when I worked in that factory, we didn't have air conditioning. It was so hot. It sweat bullets down your face, burning your hands, because I worked in a, on a, an assembly line where they put together grills. And so my job was to basically grab the grills and then put them on top so that when you crisscross like that, the machine would come down and weld them. And because we had quotas, one of the things that I would work, figure out is all the people, que no eran novatos like me, right? Like, they didn't have gloves. And I remember when I first saw them, I'm like, why aren't you people wearing gloves? Like, you're going to burn your hands. But they had so much calluses that their hands didn't burn anymore, right? Y ahí estaba yo. Like, I was, and here's the crazy I was a freshman at the University of Texas. Right, so I was in college at the flagship, yeah, and that's yeah. the summer job that I could get, right? Because my mom worked there. My mom worked in the factory, and, and she put in a good word for me. And, and I, I mean, I didn't last very long. I'm gonna tell you that is brutal hard work, right? And so, but I remember sort of seeing it. And so now, when I sit there and I'm like, you know, I, because I've had that experience, it, I start from a very different place, I think, than the average executive. That's inspiring, and we've broken down how you in this position inspire folks talked about how you're implementing policy, con ese corazón, esa inteligencia. Let's talk about what's going on on the ground because Kingwood campus is in a very special place. I remember we've got a Nuestra Palabra alum, Isis Fernandez, who now teaches here in the English department. And I remember her getting saved during Harvey because Kingwood flooded. Mm -hmm. So it looks like you still have construction going on to recover from that as you implement special precautions for COVID-19. So tell us about that. Those you know, and that's one of the things that's been really awesome about sort of being here in Kingwood. You're dealing with a college that has been through a lot, right? And these folks have been through a lot, right, through, through Hurricane Harvey. And they're very resilient, right? Our faculty here are really resilient. The students are really resilient. You know, we've had senior administrators that lost everything, like literally everything, right? Their houses are gone. The house that they had three years ago is gone. And they still sort of come in and work every day. And I think... 
when you have that perspective, that resiliency, I think the only difference between sort of Hurricane Harvey and this from that mental standpoint is Hurricane Harvey, you saw it like the rest of us kind of hover for four or five days and then it moved on and then let's roll up our sleeves and get to work, right? The difference psychologically, I think, with COVID-19 is that this thing is going on so long and there's no end in sight. And I think what we're starting to work through now is the mental health fatigue uh, sort of it. And I think that's something that worries me that we don't talk, especially in the Latino community, enough about mental health, right? And so that's one angle that we're sort of looking at. But they're really resilient bunch, right? For example, a lot of our folks already know what it's like to switch everything to online, right? Like three years ago here in Kingwood, during Hurricane Harvey, we switched everything online, right? We made it work. We st- in fact, dental hygiene is in an annex, right, up in Porter. And so um, it still hasn't moved back because that's the building that you saw when you came in. That's the building we're building is the health professions building right, to move yeah. them back, right? And so those folks haven't moved back. So to those folks, they're still enduring sort of the Harvey situation, right? Um, and so, again, like, it's new to people in Lone Star outside of Kingwood, but we've been here before you know one of the first people that i sort of moved up to help me is one of our deans kaylee 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 was the dean the director at the time that was instrumental in helping all of our faculty transition everything to online all right and so now she's special assistant to the president and she's the one that's day-to-day managing all of our COVID 19 and she's built a lot of trust with uh, the faculty and the folks here that, hey, you know, poco poquito, pasito, pasito, we're going to get there. And so it's really about coming in and, and leveraging, I think, a lot of strength that they already have because this this is not new to them. The why is new, right? But sort of, you know, when you had, we joke about, you had all the administrators basically, this conference room that we're in is three or four times the size of the room that they shared for months, right? Because they were homeless. You got to think about that, right? Imagine that. One day you go home from work, and then the next day it's all gone, right? Your computer's gone, your files are gone, and you can't even get back in here. All of your stuff on the walls is gone. I mean, everything, right? And so uh, the core group that went through that is still here, right? And so, again, resiliency is something that you can't teach somebody. You have to overcome adversity, and then through that adversity I think you believe in yourself and that's something that I don't have anything to teach people at Kingwood they've done that themselves it's a great point I mean in, personally I thought that well <laughs> in my head 10 years from now we'd all be online <laughs> but it's been sped up by, by yeah. evolution and, and that's sort of a long term concern right like what does you know I had a question earlier in an open forum like when are things going to go back to normal the answer may be never right like that normal may never return, right? Um, because there's things that we're figuring out right now that we're just doing so efficiently, right? Like, maybe we don't need this office space. Maybe we don't. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. if we can turn around and save money for the taxpayer and then provide better services for students, and that's what we're going to do because ultimately that's what we're all here to do. Mm-hmm. Right? It isn't about me. It's not about any of the VPs. It's about how many of the students can we get in through the door uh, through our enrollments, and then more importantly, I said this earlier, enrollments are transactional, but student success is transformational. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I specifically think that when it comes to the Latino population, the change that we're making, it's not just transformational, it's multi-generational. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like, my parents are very proud, both of them. And they're not much older than I am. I'm telling you, I've told my parents both multiple times, hey, dejen de trabajar. You know, I'll take care of you. You know, like that's how they are, right? Like, si yo estoy bien, no necesito gracias, right? And that's how they kind of are. But, I mean, they work because they want to, right? And, and, and any time they're in a jam or they need something, they don't need to go to any government agency or Bank of America or anybody. They come to me and, and I've got them, right? And, and that, uh, especially as an eldest son in a Latino culture, like that's a really big deal, right? My younger siblings, they know, like, you know, because we all know that, you know, when your father passes away, if you're the eldest male in our in our family, you you, sh- you become the patriarch, and you become sort of responsible for sort of everybody. Everyone becomes your problem, and that's kind of what gets drilled into you, right? Cuando yo no sé, tú vas a cuidar a tus hermanos, right? And so um, I feel like I'm in a great position to sort of be able to do that. And and again, like that's why I'm saying for a lot of these students, it's multi generational, it's transformational. It doesn't just change their lives; it changes the lives of their kids, right? 
Um, and I think one of the things that I do want to highlight is you don't have to come and get a, a PhD at the gate. You don't have to come and get a master's degree. You don't even have to get a bachelor's degree, right? And we offer bachelor's degrees now. For most of these kids, it's, can I get you to believe, right? And if I can get you to believe that, hey, let's get you a welding certificate so that you can become an apprentice welder, for example, in our workforce program. You know, I've had some students that want to go to law school, and they're like, I can't see myself going to law school. And I'm like, okay, how about this? Be smarter than I was. Get yourself a trade, right? Welding, HVAC, electrician, something like that. Do that for a couple years. Save up money. Get yourself established. Then go to law school so that you don't graduate with $200,000 of student loan like I did. Right? Be smarter than I was. Only go to schools where they're going to pay you to go. Or you're not going to pay at all. Right? And so um, a lot of students that I mentor, that's how I get them in. I'm like, hey, listen, just do the welding, do the, the, the certificates. Right? And then they see and they go and they come and, you know, they, they get a certificate. They're like, hey, you know what? I want to get a level two certificate. And then, hey, you know, I just need a few more classes. Let me get an associate's. And then before you know it, you've got people trying to get PhDs, right? And I've worked here long enough now to where that's where I'm at. I have a few students that are starting their doctorates that, that sort of I met when they were 18, 19 years old trying to get an associate's degree, right? And, and that's awesome. And I think the way it works full circle is we had a young lady four or five years ago now who's getting a law degree. She's a first-year lawyer now. And so she posted on LinkedIn. She's like, hey... I'm wondering what I'm going to do for my internship this summer. I said, you ain't got to wonder. I said, come work in the office of the general counsel here at Lone Star. We would, we would love to have one of our very own students. And I think that's something that I, I try to do a great deal, right? Um, you should see, do you, do you buy your own product, right? And so in our, in our case, it's students. So, for example, one of my strongest divisions is the office of the chief operating officer. It's all students. It's all former Lone Star College students, right? Awesome. All of them. And so when students show up and they're like, you don't understand, I'm like, they can all say, well, I, yo pasé por ahí, right? I was in, I did this, I did that. Um, we have a lot of Terry scholars that work over there. Um, and so uh, I've got somebody that wants to go to law school working over there right now. And so my point is like, not just help them get an associate's degree, but four or five years, six years later, hey, let me get you your first shot. Because I've been there. Right, and I can tell you that, like as a first-year law student, I mean, I didn't get paid for internships until I was a lawyer. Wow! I worked for three years for free to get the right experience, and so right. even getting a paid job, especially right now, right with COVID nineteen, even if it's paying eight, nine, ten, twelve dollars an hour, algo salvo, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a big deal, and so it almost starts to cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And then one of the deals that I make with my students is I'm going to help you, and all I want in exchange is that when someone shows up and I need your help. You're going to take my call, and you're not going to be too busy for me. You're not, you know what I mean? Because that's what really, you want to get under my skin and do that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, because I'll be like, and I've had a couple of those, to be really honest with you. And what I tell them is I said, and you had nobody, and I'm the one that made those phone calls for you, right? Like, now I need you to serve. Yeah, I get you're real busy. I got you. I get you got your life. You got your family. So did I, right? And so, um, that's really all we're, and then little by little we start building this network, right? Mm -hmm. To where, um, hey, I want to apply for the Terry Scholarship. Okay, let me find you somebody Latino who is a Terry Scholar. Boom, here you go, right? Hey, I want to go to law school. Let me find you some Latino lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. um, hey, I want to get a PhD. Where do you want to go? Well, you probably don't know anyone at University of New Mexico. No, I know people over there, <laughs> right? Like, what do you need, right? And so just sort of, and then little by little, you start building this network. And I think that's how you lift the whole community. And you just got to have the patience to do it one student at a time. And so here we have 41% of our students are Latino. 60% of our students are female. So it's Latinas wow. in particular here at Kingwood. We have a lot of Latinas, right? And so, um, and, you know, and that's a big deal because we all know sort of the stereotypical sort of, right? Uh, I, I posted something on Twitter today that it was it was such a great sign it said i'm the doctor my parents told me to marry <laughs> right yes right because we all grew up in those houses and i loved it i mean it was this young lady holding this sign with i'm underlined that said i'm the doctor my parents told me to marry and, and that's kind of what we need to help our, our our latina students see right like 
listen, like you can be the doctor, right? You can be the architect. And, and, and another thing is, you know, in the beginning, especially we have a lot of Latinos, for example, that want to be teachers. And so they want to go back and give back to the schools, right? Just for the same reason a lot of Latino lawyers want to be immigration lawyers in the beginning. And so one of the things that I tell them is, listen, I hope you become a teacher, not a problem, but let's talk about becoming the superintendent, right? Let's talk about becoming the principal, right? Because for all the diversity initiatives and all of that, listen, um, if the top is diverse, it, it works its way out, right? Like... I'm not about to give someone an opportunity just because they're Latino, right? But they won't get hit because they're Latino. And I think it sort of fixes itself sort of in the, in the, in the long run. And so, again, like, you know, stop trying to be the college president. Let's talk about being the chancellor, right? Like, let's, let's have that conversation, right? I see sort of people talking about um, why is this system or that system, why is there no Latino presidents? I said, stop talking about the presidents, why is there no Latino chancellor, right? Because if we had a big system that had a Latino chancellor, right, that's a different ballgame than, than what we're talking about right now. And so I think that's what I'm trying to impart on students is, look, it's great you want to be a teacher. That's great. But let's talk about being the principal. Let's talk about being the superintendent. And I think when you when you sort of can talk from a place of authority, I think that's really powerful to a student, right? Because... Like I said in the article, I'm not talking about something I read in a book or something I wrote a dissertation on. It's something that I've lived and experienced. That's awesome. And, and I think a lot of what you're saying is open up people's minds, imaginations. I'm going to throw it to Daniel, but to segue to that, what I want to say, too, is that we also want to change the way people think of our community in Houston. Because when they think of Houston, they typically think of City Council H, City Council I, which are the legacy Mexican-American neighborhoods, about 70% Latino. They don't think of City Council E. They may not think of Lone Star College Kingwood. They may not even think it's in Houston, but it is. I'm going to throw it to Dan because we want to talk about how do we work together for your outreach into Kingwood and how we can build up Kingwood and at the same time serve our community. Yeah, thank you, Tony. And Mario, I mean, your story is just absolutely amazing, and I love how you're taking what you went through and the the adversities that you learned how to persevere through to show other people that they can do that as well. I think that's an important uh, role for individuals like yourself who are in an esteemed role like this to give back and show to the community, hey, we can do it. I've gotten here and glad we can see we can go to Chancellor and we gotta think that that big because a lot of times I know the argument is, well, um, especially with welding and those certificates, well, you know, we're developing the workforce with Latinos. But like you said, yeah, we can start there, but we can go so much bigger. We can be the owners of the welding organizations and, and those type of deals. So I appreciate that perspective that you have for not only your employees, but obviously for the students themselves. And uh, to District D, one of the things that I think a lot of people miss is just how vast mm -hmm. District D is and how much it encompasses. Uh, one of the things I learned early on when I first moved to the district was Kingwood Lone Star. And coming to this facility because um, they hosted my daughter's art shows from Humble ISD and it really gave me an appreciation that this was a uh, organization that worked with its community. And so with that how do you find ways to work within the community here in the surrounding areas? Obviously, we're close to Porter, Humble, City of Houston. How do you see Lone Star working with those communities surrounding it? Yeah, Aside so from the educational aspect. So first of all is we, we got to go to them. I think that's the first thing, right? And so that's part of what I've been sort of focusing on. So we have the main campus here. We have the Toscacita Center over on Westlake Houston Parkway, and then we have Process Tech over on Lockwood and Generation Park. Right, and so how it all comes together, I'll use Process Tech as an example. So Process Tech coming into this year, we had 240 students over there um, in, a, in a brand new building. It's a beautiful building, and, and what we do over there is gray, it's gray collar, blue collar sort of Process Tech, right? And so I, I went to the instructional folks and I said, let's offer more classes up there. And they're like, well, we're offering Process Tech. I said, let's offer non-Process Tech classes. Let's offer some English, some math, some basic stuff. 
right? And as of this morning, our enrollments over there for from last year are up 70%. Wow. Um, <laughs> based on sort of these general, because this is, it's again, the conversations that I'm having is, for a lot of people that live around Process Tech, it may be I can't get to main campus Kingwood, right? Because when I was in college, I didn't have a car. So it didn't matter what great things you were offering at the main campus. If I live by the Atascacita Center or, or Process Tech, I can't get there. So a lot of it is access, especially as you move up northeast, right? As you start moving into sort of more East Montgomery County, mm -hmm. those folks can't get down here either because they have no cars or they share a, you know, because when I grew up, for example, I remember like between my dad and like two or three of his friends, they had like one car. And, and they would come by and pick up my dad, and they would go to work, right? And so people take for granted the fact that you got your own car, right, to go to work. And even places where there's usually one car, dad takes car, right? Yeah. Mom, mom and kids, y'all got to figure it out because dad, and because dad's the breadwinner usually in, in, those, in those families, right? And so there is no car. So part of it is we have to go to the students, and we have to go where the students are. And so a lot of the conversations that I'm having with community leaders like yourself and other folks is we need to figure out how to get the students to one of these three spots and what I'm trying to do is make sure that all three of these spots are of equal caliber right so the main campus isn't the flagship that you know we have all these things here but if you go to one of our satellite centers because you can't get here that it's somehow a different experience that it's the same experience just like if you go to one Wendy's it's the same thing as another Wendy's it's the same menu the same thing sort of franchising in a way where there's a standard all the way across. But I think the big thing is access. And Process Tech shows you what the need is, right? Because we offered classes, they filled up almost overnight. It was, it's crazy. We're having to open up more. We're about to do the same thing with the Tascacita. And so as those people that live east of here, they can get to a Tascacita, they can get to Process Tech, it's easier, right? And it goes back to what I was saying. So you show up and you're like, I don't really know if I can do college, but aquí está, me voy a pie, right? So then you walk in there, you take your one little class, your two class, and you're like, you know what, I can handle this. What's going on here? What are these pipes for? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, this is process tech. Well, what's that? Does it pay well? Yeah, it's a pretty well-paying job that you can get pretty quickly out in oil and gas, right? Oh, okay, well, what is that, right? And once you sort of have that rapport, y tienes alguien de confianza in that building that you trust, they're going to tell you like this. And then now we get process tech enrollments, right? And then for the process tech students, they don't have to worry about coming all the way up here to the main campus to take the English class that they need for an associate's degree or the mat, right? So they're all right there. And so a lot of it is just getting, the, getting to the students, I think, is a big part of it, right? So I was actually having a conversation with someone that's starting a nonprofit legal, legal nonprofit up here. And I said, let's go out to these neighborhoods right let's put on some blue jeans and some t-shirts and and let's go out and let's go to them uh, and we need community members like you to sort of because i've been on the other side of this right i've got scholarship funds but what happens let me tell you what happens a lot of times is so i show up and i'm like hey i i have some scholarship money well what's in it well, what do you mean what do i got to do nothing you just got to ask for it basically right, right. some basic fund and then i'm telling you because i tell particularly latinos and Latinas, I tell them all the time, like, and look, here's my card. When you get home and you tell mom and dad, you can tell mom and dad to call me directly because I speak Spanish and I know they're going to have a thousand questions and I will answer all their questions. Or you can bring mom and dad to our meeting, etc. because I can imagine coming home saying, hey, I can go to college for free. And I, I mean, in my household, I remember my mom and dad saying, nada gratis, right? right and so yeah. they'd be like, what's the angle, <laughs> right? And so we're raised that way. And so part of it is finding community leaders. That's part of the reason sort of selfishly I'll agree to you. Uh, I'll admit to you, that's why I agree to this, right? <laughs> so that it's not about me. It's about gaining y'all's trust so that when I ask you, hey, I need to go out to this event center. We're going to put for a, to together a little festival, for example, for families to come spend on Sundays. Right? That's one of the ideas that I have going out there somewhere doing a festival for families on Sundays, having some light music, some barbecue, an actual recruitment event, something like that out there, right? And then just, hey, all we need is like five, 10 minutes to set up a table and then just give us 10 minutes of the mic and that's it. And you know, we just introduce people to the fact that we're here. And so, cause I remember, and again, this is where sort of being Latino, el domingo es el día de fiesta, right? <laughs> so like having, having, th having things on Saturdays trying to attract Latinos is never going to work if you're trying to get mom and dad, right? You have to have it on Sundays and then after church, 
right? You can't have it sort of two, three p.m. is the sort of sweet spot, right? <laughs> and so, and so, that's part of it, right? So we go out there, and it's sort of knowing when you've got to do it. But really, it's about access. I think is a lot of it is the transportation to get to. Um, you know, right now we're giving away laptops. If you have a 2.0 and you enroll for six hours, wow, really? you get a you get a laptop the whole time that you're here as a loner. And so if you've got that, you know, we've got situated to get you internet. But again, it's one of these things where if I tell a student that doesn't know me, hey, I'm gonna get you. I'll give you scholarship for six hours, so it'll be free. All right. Um, you just got to worry about books. And I even have some money set aside for books. Okay, here are your books. Here, oh, you need a laptop. Here's your laptop. Unfortunately, we live in a society where people are like, well, what's the angle, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's where I need y'all to be like, look, Mario's a confianza. Like, if Mario says X, Y, and Z, like, that's what it is. And it's just, it's everything's on the up and up. And I think that's how we sort of do it. We go out there. We go to where they are. We convince people, look, if you want to come get a PhD out of the gate, like, we got you covered, right? Like, we, we have those relationships to get you a bachelor's, get you a master's. We have great partnerships. Uh, we have U of H, UHD on campus here. So if you make it here, we can get you UHD, all right? Um, I got along really well with their former president, uh, Juan Munoz, right? I would call him and I'd be like, Dr. Munoz, Juan, I got a student. I need some help. He'd be like, whatever you need, Mario. Like, we're, we're both here to help students. I have the same relation right now with Dean Vian or not Dean. He used to be a dean here, Vice President Villanueva over at UHD. Every time I call Vice President Villanueva, he's like, you know, let's help some students. And so my point is, you don't know who I know, right? right? Yeah. And so part of it is just getting students in the door to trust us that we want to help them. And I think part of their, I don't like talking about myself, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm usually a very private person. But part of what I'm trying to do is, listen, like I'm going to send out an email to students today or tomorrow that says, please come get one of these laptops. Okay? <laughs> yeah. um, we already bought them. They're sitting here. We need you to take them. And look, don't be too proud. This is what the email says. It said, don't be too proud. I was a first-generation student myself. I had a crappy old, it says this, right? Imagine getting, a, <laughs> imagine getting an email from the college president right? that says, I had a crappy old laptop myself, right? Um, and I remember how much I used to fight with the laptop. And I remember how it used to, I used to get behind because I was fighting with my technology and my classmates all traían del año and I had nothing, right? You don't have to go through that. Just click this link and sort of let us know. And so I think that that's even that, right? Like an email that comes from the president that's like, por ahí pase yo, I know what you're thinking. Here's the terms and conditions, right? Have mom and dad call somebody here and, and we'll work it out. So I think to answer your question, I think that's how we can help each other, just very directly, like vouching for the college in the community with the context that you have will go a long way. Well, I think that's uh, that's wonderful because, uh, one, I'm already a fan and an advocate for you. So please, after this meeting, if there's anything that you need, uh, let me know. I'm a huge fan of uh, bringing back the, the Atascacita site because my daughter graduates high school in six years. So I'd love for her to just be able to walk to college. I mean, there's not a lot of people that can say that, mm -hmm. that they literally have a place that they can walk to college. And again, it's a testament to where that location is and how it can be utilized. And I'm also a UHD grad myself, and so being able to say, hey, wow, I, I've got a tie-in with this actual location because of that, again, it's another reason to help advocate. In recognizing that you're going out to the communities and, or the need to go out to the communities and spread the word and, and really kind of highlight all of the, the different avenues that the students have within the Kingwood Lone Star campus, what do you think it, it means for the Latino community to, in a way, come out of its shell? Do you, are, are you finding resistance, or is it just a, a, maybe a, a lack of awareness to have these, uh, these potential students really take advantage of some wonderful programming? Yeah, I mean, look, it's different things for different people. So you have some students that are... That are the opportunity cost is too great, right? Like I've got to work. So mm -hmm. are you gonna pay my bills while I go to school, right? And right. so, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Like where do you work right now? Well, I work here, I work there. Okay, how much do you make a month? I make this. Okay, what if I gave you that money in scholarship? Would you, wow. would you come to school, right? Yeah. Uh, what if you're making 12, let's say you're making $10, because I had this exact situation. I had a young lady who wanted to be a school teacher out of Aldine. 
and she was working at a warehouse doing logistics and she was working all crazy hours and it was affecting her school and I said how much do you make and I she said oh I think I made it was nine ten dollars I said all right I'll tell you what I will pay you twelve dollars an hour come work for me in the COO's office and you can study when downtime right and so you're getting your money and you have said so now it's all and then you're surrounded by academic excellence other students right and so that person uh, is actually at a four-year university now and she's on track to to become a teacher and she's a first generation everything as well right and so that's what i'm talking about so the first thing is the opportunity cost there's a group of people that are like how am i gonna live right and that's where i think the the workforce thing and, and let me sort of tell you another thing like one of the things that i like to tell people is you know just because you have a phd doesn't mean you're happy just because you have a master's degree right i know plenty of, i know i know a lot of lawyers that are miserable right and so i was having this conversation one time i'll tell you this quick story with this faculty member and this faculty member is very upset that her students wanted nothing more than to do oil and gas to be a rustabouts right working on oil and gas and one of we started talking about this particular student and she said well you know all he wants to do is work where his dad works and I said, and why is that a bad thing? I said, you know, looking back now, what I had to give up to become what I am. You know, my dad and I, I love my father to death, but we live in two different worlds. Right? My dad drives an 18-wheeler. Mm-hmm. Right? Y lo que teníamos en común es la historia. Right? Because my dad, I don't know anything about truck driving. Right? right. And, and my dad doesn't know anything about being a senior executive. <laughs> right? And so... I, and I told that faculty member, I said, you know what, some days, I'm like, you know what, what if I would have turned into an 18-wheel driver and my dad and I could drive all over the country? And then I could go to law school and my dad's gone and sort of have gone. So you, so you see what I mean? Like, yeah. just because someone makes a different choice than you doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you choose workforce, there could be a really valid reason why there's workforce. You know, we have, we have programs where truck driving is a perfect one where the opportunity cost on the front is very small compared to the wages that you can make, right? And so my point is, I think that that's sort of the opportunity cost is number one. Then you have sort of these like mentality of like, oh, well, workforce is less than, right? right? Like if I don't go and I don't get a PhD out of the gate, then I'm a failure. Well, I don't have a PhD and my, no one cares, right? <laughs> so, so, so my point is like you can get you can get to where you need to be through different purposes. I think you have opportunity costs and you have sort of this mentality of like work for it. And then you have sort of people who are just generally untrusting because either they've been hurt before, right? And most of our students, the other part of why I really believe in the mission of this place as opposed to other higher, most of our students have undergone some pretty severe trauma or adversity, Yeah. right? And so you either it's my parents, you know, I worry about my parents getting deported right which is a big one that a lot of our students worry about right so well how does that play out well they don't want to fill out a fafsa well they can fill out a tafsa right well i'm still worried about that you see what i'm saying and just getting them to even go through because of that so you have to sort of honor that so you have a lot of distrust right and it's not que no quieran es que no saben right and because look whether you're latino white Asian, doesn't matter. What does every parent want? For their kids to be better than they were, right? For their kids to be better off. So that when we hang it up, you know, our children do better. And that's universal. That's not Latino. That's not white. That, that's everybody, right? And so, of course, if you presented it in just the right way to a parent and said, your son or daughter, right, they could do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a degree. Sometimes it's freedom, right? right. Yeah. Like, one of the things that I hated, for example, growing up is my dad and mom worked jobs where like their timing was exact, right? Like you had to be at the line at this time. You got a lot of that break, you take your little 15 minute break, you 16 minutes later, empieza la línea otra vez, right? I always hated that. And so a lot of what I looked for was like, can I have a job where I can come and go, hacer as hacer, and like no one's like watching me that way, right? right. And the freedom to just, you know, even having this interview right now with y'all, like, I have the freedom to do that, and I, and I don't take that for granted. So I think it's going to mm-hmm. to put it. And so part of it is education, and then part of it is trust, right? So we have to educate these parents. And, and by the way, that's one another thing that I'm, I'm looking into is offering ESOL and GED classes. 
which I believe would be huge, right? especially so, for this area. Because part of it is if we can get the parents to take ESOL, GED in those areas, then they start sort of knowing the college. They start learning exactly like the same thing of coming to one of our centers. They start sort of teniendo alguien de confianza. Hey, um, I took an ESOL class, you know, do you have something for my son, right? Because I have a scholarship that I run out of the CEO's office. In the beginning, it was just like that. That's, I'm telling you from experience. I showed up in a classroom one time, just walked into a classroom before COVID, and I said, hey, guys, raise your hand if you want a scholarship. And people were like, <laughs> right? And so they're like, where's the application? And I said, there's no application. Shoot me an email, and so long as we meet federal guidelines, like we'll give you money. Most of the class... Most people took my card, right? Just like when you take someone's card and you know, pero me tiraron a loco, sí. right? Yeah. You know, ese guy está loco, right? <laughs> there was like one or two of them that actually reached out to me, and so then I helped them with their school, and then they told like their sibling, and now I've got yeah. four. Nice. And then they told a cousin, now I've got seven, right? And little by little, pretty much, all of my CO scholarship recipients, they all somehow know each other or are related or sat in a class with somebody because that's how you sort of do it. And this last year was the first time that I had more students apply than I had money, wow. right? And so um, now we actually had to create an application and sort of wait. So my point is like, if you can get the parents to take an ESOL class or GED, and I learned like, look, here at Lundstar, at System Office, I set up a program where we would pay for all of our custodians to get uh, GED right, for free. And so one of the things that I learned is that you can't take GED in English until you speak English. So we had to actually take a step back and do ESOL first, right? Mm -hmm. right? English, non-credit, ESOL. And so then you learn English, then you can sort of take La Materia in, in English, right? And so here's the amazing thing. It's going to take them like two years, but one of the most inspiring things was to walk out of my office every day, and they used to meet right next door to my office in the general counsel's office, They'd be sitting there studying, like you get, someone was giving, and that's the other part, we're going to them, right? right. So we will yeah. send an instructor to Bring a community to center, to something, hey, you just got to walk down the street, and the instructor will sort of come there, and so little by little, they're like, you know what, I can do this. So they get their ESL certificate, and then they get a GED, and then they've got kids, they've got spouses, right? Hey, hablale a Mario, and before you know it, I start getting all these random phone calls, hey, Mario, uh, I have a cousin that wants to do welding. What can you do, right? Yes, and so, exactly. and so um, you know, and I'll help all students, even if they're not Kingwood. You know, if you call me for North Harris, or because at the end of the day, we're all here to sort of help one another. So I think that's what it is. We have to get out there with ESOL, GED, I think would be a great start. Get the parents involved. Once we build some trust with the parents, then, hey, what about your kids? You know, can we get your kids uh, oh, well, they're going in high school. Have you thought about doing dual credit with them, right? right? Like, let's get some dual credit, some early college high schools, right? You can graduate with your early college high school before you even graduate from high school. I don't know. Did you know that, that we have graduations for our students that are early college high school, and they graduate with an associate's degree before the high school graduation? No, I did Because college graduations are always before high schools. Yes. So it's really awesome because we will give associate's degrees to students, and then That's three weeks true. later they graduate from high school. Right? And, and look, I want Lone Star to be the first choice. I don't want Lone Star to be anyone's backup. And so a lot of that has to do with money and access, right? Like you're, you were talking about your daughter. So your daughter, let's assume she can get into any school. You can still get into any school two years later, but then you only owe two years worth of debt, right? And if you come to Lone Star and you do really, really well, we feed the Ivies, right? So you, well, come, yeah. you can come here, you get to stay at home so you don't have to pay room and board. You can be close to mom and dad, so you have a social support network, right, that you wouldn't have if you went to a four-year university far away, right? And so you do better. And our students, the data shows this, the data bears it out. Our students do better at the four-year universities than the four-year university freshmen transitioning to juniors, wow. right? So we are very much in the business of being the college of first choice. We don't want to be anyone's backup. We don't want to play second fiddle anyone. And so that's one of the things that we, we tell all of our folks, you know, per credit hour, um, we can hang with anybody, right, in the in the area or the state or even the nation. And so um, we, and let me just tell you, because our students have gone through trauma and adversity, when they get to those universities, they're not necessarily surrounded by people that have faced the things that they have faced, and that's when they kill it, right? Yes. They just absolutely kill it because, you know, when you've had to work and go to school and then all of a sudden you just got to go to school, 
difference. That's a big difference, right? Like you're you're used to running twice as hard. Right? People ask me how can you do three jobs. I said I grew up in a household with my dad and mom were doing three jobs, <laughs> right? Like, exactly. Right? It's exactly. like you I know, lived it. I lived, right? I lived it, right? My dad delivered newspapers at night, worked in a factory during the day. My mom took care of us three meals a day, the whole nine yards, and then worked in a in a cannery for Del Monte in California, right? And you so know, to tie that in and that experience and watching your parents do that and being from Chihuahua and, and, and knowing that background, what does heritage, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month then mean to you as it's recognized by, you know, the city of Houston right now, right? We've got September 15th through October 15th where we recognize uh, the Hispanic heritage. What does something like that mean to you? Um, you know what? I think... You know, in my house, it was Hispanic Heritage Month every month, right? <laughs> like, my parents, like, I can tell you the biggest sin, my father would probably forgive 99% of my behavior, right? No matter what I did, because he's my dad. But one thing that I, when I was raised is, my dad used to always say, no seas un bendido, right? Uh, don't do things against the community, right? Like, don't forget where you come from. Don't be one of those people that makes it and then forgets to turn around and pull somebody else. And so I think that for me, Hispanic Heritage Month is every month, right? I think what's important about this month is that we take time to sort of educate our young people, for example, about sort of the leaders of, of our community, right? Like when you talk about, for example, the, the, and you and I have collaborated on this before, with Texas independence, what was the Latino part in that, right? Like we don't talk enough about that, right? Why is, why is, um, you know, what, who is Sam Houston? That's great, right, to know who Sam Houston was, but what about the Latino leaders in, in the area, whether that's Uvalde or Sergin or and those folks, right? When you go down to the valley, right, was the history of the valley, right, that's predominantly Latino. And, and so um, I think what becomes really important is taking time in all our busy lives to say, hey, listen, let me sit down and sort of explain to you uh, what a big deal sort of this person was, right, whether it's sports music whatever it is that you know we we have we have a culture and, and we should be proud of that and i'm very proud of the fact that you know one thing that my parents were really sort of strong about even as a chicano to be able to speak spanish yeah right and so my parents were like aquí en la casa no más se habla español right no english and my grandparents were the same way and at the time i remember like i used to think that was goofy and weird because you know when you're american especially first generation por inglés you know what i mean <laughs> And then going there and sort of being forced. And now I'm grateful because I speak two languages, right? And my dad always used to say, el que habla dos idiomas vale dos, vale doble. Exactly. Right? And there's some jobs that I've gotten just because I was bilingual, right? And same thing with my wife, by the way, which I said is English. She, she speaks Spanish, right? And she studied in Spain for, for a while. And so I think knowing our language, our culture, our heritage, and truly sort of being knowledgeable is a big deal. And I think what I like about it is that we take one month to sort of really sort of hit the brakes and talk about it. But really in a healthy society and a healthy culture, we should be talking about our accomplishments all the time. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I mean, in closing, thank you for chatting with us. We're chatting on a Thursday and you've changed the world. What's up for Friday? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, I'm kind of living one day at a lot, one day at a time right now. Um, you know, I could do without any more weather, <laughs> um, weather issues. Um, you know, we just got to take it one day at a time. El tiempo se pasa. You know, that's one of the things that I would leave your listeners with. That's something that my dad always used to say, and he still says. You know, el tiempo se pasa. Um, you know, one day you look up and it's 20 years later. And 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 for me, that as young as I am, because people ask me all the time. I'm 37, and so 20 years ago, I mean, I was homeless, and I was a senior in college, or senior in high school, right? And 20 years later, I'm, I'm the president of this college, I'm the COO, I'm the chief legal officer. Um, and so, you know, you just keep your head down, work one day at a time, and eventually people notice, and that's what happened to me. You know, Dr. Head has put a lot of faith in me very early on. You know, he hired me as the chief legal officer when I was 32. Um, I don't know if I'd do that, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, myself, I'm like, I don't know, I'm 32, like, I guess that's muy, muy, muy niño, no? Pero, 
you know, like I think that's really important to sort of honor that. I had a great mentor in the first federal judge that I worked for, Judge Horacio, um, Latino as well, and that was a really big influence in my life. I had a very pivotal time, Judge Horacio, you know, and then after I went to go work, Judge Horacio spent four years of his life sort of mentoring me. So by the time I went to a Latino law firm, right, Montino Ramirez LLP, Jacob and Danny and the rest of my partners there gave me a lot of opportunities that I would not have gone otherwhere, elsewhere, right? So one of the things I'm proudest of is they trusted me with um, a Supreme Court case that was testing whether or not we give financial aid to undocumented students, yeah. right? And I was 29, 30 years old and I was managing that case at the Texas Supreme Court and I'll never forget when I got my brief accepted, the petition for cert granted by the Supreme Court and I remember Danny and Jacob came to my and said, okay, you're gonna have to write a brief for the Texas Supreme Court and if you lose, all these people are going to lose their financial aid. <laughs> no pressure, oh, wow. you know? And so at 29, 30 years old, they trusted me with that, right? They trusted me with a lot of work that really, like, I, looking back now, now that I'm older and sort of I'm the boss, it's like, I had no business, right? But, <laughs> but, but you know, they trusted me. That, that case ended up working out on behalf of our students, and now I'm very proud wow. of that, that, you know, if you get undocumented, you're undocumented and you get a, to fill out a financial aid form right now it's, it's because of that case and so um, you know and, and that was one of those things that was probably one of the greatest things I think I've ever been a part of um, in that case and I mean the stakes were high my opposing counsel was a former Supreme Court justice and so there I was 29 30 years old um, I had a great associate who works for me now here named Nancy Molina um, and so Nancy and I, you know, Nancy was still in law school at the time, and so Nancy and I, uh, with a little help from our friend Professor Olivas over at U of H and Maldef, right? Uh, and so there we were. And so, um, you know, that that's pretty much what I'd like to leave you with. El tiempo se pasa poco a poquito y hay que seguir luchando Fantastic. We've been chatting with Mario Castillo, interim president for Lone Star College Kingwood. Thank you and continued success. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Tony Diaz. Latino Politics and News is a brand new radio show. We started right before the COVID-19 shutdown. We love that the station put their faith in our production team to come up with a new program that focuses on Latino issues and Latino news in a way that our community deserves and expects. No hispandering is allowed. And we shed light not just on different topics, but also we take topics that have been examined by others and show you how they affect our community. Please visit kpft.org and make a donation in the name of Latino Politics and News. We appreciate your continued support. Back in the day, cuando era un niño, someone in the crowd might have looked at me fail. With an evil eye, abuela called it ojo. In the fridge and took out a webble Sign of the cross with the egg as a remedy Rub it on my body to remove the bad energy Pray out loud so we can all hear it Egg underneath the bed to absorb the evil spirits The wind blew, the house shook I lay back with candles, the rosary and the sage plant Sana, sana, fix vapor rub on my chest Fell asleep and woke up in a puddle of sweat Felt better after shaking the omen Zone floated on the earth that I'm roaming in the Americas, some call it folklore. Up well, I broke the egg, now I'm free from all Sana, sana, sana me, enterito, me entregué. Envuelto en tu rebozo, en este momento de coco. Sana, sana, sana me, enterito, me entregué. Envuelto en tu rebozo, Did you know in the next year, hundreds of thousands of dogs and cats in Houston will come into local shelters and as many as 70% will never find a home. Puppies, kittens, dogs, and cats who are healthy and loving will have their lives ended too soon. But there is hope. Every day, Houston Pets Alive rescues animals and places them into loving foster homes. And with the help of foster families, volunteers, and donors, they adopt hundreds of animals into loving forever homes. To learn more about Houston Pets Alive, how you can help save those pets' lives, and together help end pet homelessness, visit HoustonPetsAlive.org today. This is KPFT Houston.